Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adel and Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adel and Marcy. And today I'm bringing you a very good friend of mine that is, uh, we've spoken for like nine months. She's pretty awesome. I like her. I thought she'd be a great fit for the show because she's going to be sharing some really kick-ass tips and tricks. Abby, welcome to the show. Hey Adel, great to be here. Glad to have you on the show. So everyone, for everyone that doesn't know, Abby Lemon is one of the coolest brand designers I know. And she lives in the UK. That makes it super awesome for me as well. And she's friends with a bunch of other people that, you know, we know, like, interest and love. Uh, just a real quick shout out to the sponsor of the show. Today's episode is brought to you by brandpharmacy.co.uk, which is Abby's site. Go check it out. Check out if uh, you can work with her because her plate is full, but you never know. She might have an open spot. You might learn some cool shit from her as well. She's pretty awesome. Two, handlemarcy.com. Go check it out. Sign up for the podcast squad. Sign up for your mailing list. We're going to be sending you a bunch of cool freebie shit about how to build your business around stuff. Like email templates, sales pieces, squeeze pieces. We got everything going, right? We're just going to be giving away some crazy cool shit in the next couple of days. Uh, also, listen to the other episodes of the show. Uh, we're also sponsored by theabrasiveentrepreneur.com. Shane is going to be giving away a full hour worth of Facebook psychology, especially with all the updates they've just done. His shit just keeps on kicking. It's amazing. Uh, and finally, rate this show, subscribe, comment, review, share, do some amazing fucking stuff. I love all that stuff that's there. And with that being said, Abby, welcome to the show of craziness. Hey, <laughs> good to be here. Good to be here. I'm glad that you actually took the time to do this because small admittance, I slightly forgot that we had the show today. <laughs> so when I sent you that message saying, uh, how are we connecting today? Then that was uh, the first you remembered about it, yeah? <laughs> Pretty much, because like, my phone didn't go off at all. I was like, motherfucker, how dare it not go off? This is one of those things. Now, oh, well, I, you've got me. Go. Go. I was going to say, you've got me and my bunged up nose and cold today, so yay. <laughs> Apparently, I sound Scottish. I do not sound Scottish. Yeah, you Scottish. sound Scottish. <laughs> What's really messed up is I look to my left to like check out my iPad, and there's a plaid, like, hot microwavable thingy bag that you put in that a client sent me which is awesome um but it's plaid and just looks like a kilt okay so there you go so maybe they um they thought you sounded scottish as well so they were sending you something in a tartan to to go along with that pretty much is what we do yes (laughs) but anyway that being said so abby your story is a little bit fascinating to me because i actually don't know it Uh, okay so enlighten the crew and the squad that are listening tell me what it is Okay, so um, I started my design career many years ago, or one or two years ago, shall we say, um, in the late 90s um, when I worked for uh, Ministry of Sound Designing magazines. Hold so on, I'm slightly was... confused there because you're like, yep. many years ago, then one or two years ago. Now, yeah, I was now... joking, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's been like 20 plus years. Yeah, all right. Just uh, that's that's you're highlighting how old I am. You see, look, but yeah, one or two years ago makes me feel like I am still in my mid twenties. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a long time ago, probably longer ago than I care to admit. Um, but yes, uh, so yeah, I was um, working for Ministry of Sound, working on their magazine, um, and that's how I really kind of got into um, creativity and design. I also studied fashion design and marketing um, at uni as well. So there was obviously a bit of the creative stuff that I I enjoyed doing. Um, after I worked at Ministry of Sound, which if you ask me about anything that happened in those years, I probably can't remember or tell you or I might have to kill you. Um, and um, then I went on to work for a brand agency in London, which got me into the world of branding and design and, um, you know, all of that good stuff. 
since then I have had I've, I've worked in other areas I, I worked for um, the broadcast technology industry for a while um, doing sales actually which is a bit different um, various um, other tribulations in my personal life which we won't go into right at this second um, but it's led me to starting my own business a couple of years ago um, and really committing to it as a, a full-time gig now so that's pretty badass I like it and you know what's crazy is that you actually know all the crazy shit I ask because I had my friend Courtney Blair on the show not too long ago. I think it was, yeah. I think it was the last episode, to be fair. And she, I was like, so tell me about your addiction problem that you had. She's like, I've never told anyone this shit. Okay, this is what my addiction <laughs> thing was when I was like younger. I was like, holy crap. She was like, yeah. Because it, it was like, she was like a heroin addict when oh she was like 21. God, yeah. And then yeah. like, she's 20, 26, 27 now. Um She's amazing. Like, she's transformed her life. She has a kid. She has a six-figure business that she built in less than a year. Um, she's incredible. Like, I freaking love Courtney. And for the people listening to the show, you probably came here because one of Courtney's guys sent you here, like, podcast and interviewed with her because she sends me so many cool guests. Um, so yeah, and awesome. do you know what? Stories like that where um, somebody <coughs> has actually, they, you know, they are who they are now and they've built the business they have now because of the shit that they went through and, the, you know, the, the lows that they face. Because I think especially when people are entrepreneurial in their ways, you get, you know, um, I know when we've spoken before, you know, you, you do when you're younger, you get really bored easily. So you kind of try and look for ways and outlets for this kind of creative, you know, this this wild mind that is going, that wants to go places. And sometimes that does lead you to drugs or alcohol or, you know, other bad behavioral things that go on. Um, but it's kind of an outlet at the time. And that's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs do fall by the wayside sometimes. But it, the, to fight and get out of that is incredible. Oh, yeah, definitely. It makes you one hell of a strong person on the other yeah. side. Now, the thing that really makes me, uh, that I kind of want to touch upon it is kind of yeah. like, well, as you said, everyone goes through those. But something Ben Settle actually said the other day when he was talking about personality types was particularly to do with the fact that there's certain personalities that like thrive in chaos and others that don't, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty much a chaos type guy. I know I am. Because if there's too much peace and quiet in my life, I have to cause chaos and destruction. It's yep. just what I have to do. Otherwise, it's like, shit is too quiet. Someone's going to kill me. Quickly, do something crazy. Yeah, do something mad. <laughs> and I was looking at historical figures like this, but like the Cray twins, like Reggie and Ronald Cray. Yeah. Holy crap. They were basically chaos embodied. Chaos magnets. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, like, what they built in such, such a short space of time, if they went ahead and did this in, like, say, an entrepreneurial sense with legal activities, that would have got there quite quickly and actually been quite successful. So it's an interesting thing. But kind mm. of jumping away from all of that, my true one of the questions I really have is this idea that everyone, okay, settle this debate for me. Is it true that if you aren't design centric, you can't ever learn how to design? Or is it something you're just born with or is it a skill? Um, I think there's a difference between, um, let's say, a creative eye and design in per se. I, I think there is a lot. Some people have a natural, innate ability to be able to composition things very well, to um, to notice the finer details about things, to have, you know, some people have a very strong perception of colour, for example. And, and then, you know, you have got on the other end of the spectrum um, somebody who's colourblind. I think there is an innate tendency to be good at something as there is with a lot of other stuff but that you know that could be you could be born with it or you could be um it could just be something to do with your socioeconomic upbringing or your family or anything else i would say design skills um there's a lot of technicality behind some of the you know like typography layouts behind um 
you know like the say the golden ratio there's there's kind of a scientific if you like approach to it as well and i think you can make something look really good and design centric without being this innate creative type if you kind of follow some of the the classic principles of um say type layout and that kind of thing so in short yeah um to answer your question i think it's um it's a bit of both but i think you can certainly make stuff look really good without necessarily being an arty type human being yeah yeah that kind of Um, thing it's um you know it's yes people are born with art skills but there's a difference between um somebody painting like um, one of the old masters or something like that that to me is totally out of my scope I, I you know I can't really draw and paint very well when it comes to drawing life drawings and all that kind of stuff but I can digitally create things um yeah it's, it's just a different it's just different I think yeah, it is like it's a different skill entirely like um, mm. I used to be when I was younger I used to actually be a pretty good artist like a actual draw people okay kind of thing I stopped doing that because um, my art teacher pissed me off. Like that, that, that just shows you the crazy side of the destruction in my brain <laughs> is don't tell me how to do this. Fuck, fuck you. you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, fuck you. I'm not going to do it now. Screw oh, you. Okay. No, you don't get to see my talent. You get to piss off and you don't get to see my brilliance. Um, which in its own right kind of was a good thing because it led me down to the path of writing. Yeah. And we all know how that happens and what's going on now with my writing skills. But um, so it's an interesting it's an interesting mix. So something I did want to ask as well, like not just off the idea, because I believe that you can get good at anything if you do it long enough. Right. If you yeah. stay like the perfect example for this is my friend Ori. Ori uh, Bengal, if you guys don't know him, um, you guys, I've, I've had him on the show before. This guy started five, six years ago painting every single day. You do one one piece of artwork every single day. He's yes, got, and he, this is yeah, this is the ten thousand hours principle. Is it um that you know if if you put in the time, you will be good at anything. And and you, what you don't see is just the end result. You know, you see the end result, sorry, but what you don't see is all the failed, you know, and the other stuff, the hours and hours and hours that go in behind anyone from a piano player to an artist to you know. Thank you for saying piano player. That just like reminds me of how sad I am that my piano has just sat there and I haven't played it for like oh. the last four months. I'm like, <laughs> the piano misses me. I'm actually a complete novice, by the way. I'm actually self-teaching how to play the piano. It's like it's a wonderful skill to have. A wonderful skill. Yeah, I'm. Um, I do play the piano actually, and I'm and the guitar and the violin, and I'm one of those people. When it comes to music, if you give me something, I'll just I'll be able to play it. It's um. It's just, and I think that is something that's run through my family. Talking about inherit inherent skills is um you know my mum um is like a grade eight pianist my grandfather taught the clarinet and the piano my uncle writes musicals for a, a theater company you know he's a musical director has done that all his life has worked with people like george harrison and you know wow. um my dad played the drums you know they, so we are a very musically orientated family so whether that's i was born with that skill to be able to you know hear notes and, and be able to read music and things or whether it's something that has just been in drummed into me from being around music so much i, I don't know either it could say, be a bit of both i would say it's more towards the idea of epigenetics yeah it could well be because like for those that don't know what epigenetics are epi- epigenetics are essentially the idea that you inherit things from people like family and your bloodlines and how much of your genetic dna is that like for me mm. um my talent is in fighting 
like I'm God, I don't want to sound like a dick when I say this, but violence. Fighting, did you say? Yeah, I'm actually capably violent because I used to fight. I used to fight okay. in MMA and Muay Thai and now to pursue Jiu Jitsu, and I'm drawn to that kind of chaos because I looked at my family tree. I'm most. I'm made up of like four very very like warrior type centric ancestry. Like I'm. Yep. I'm mostly Indian. A lot of people are like Indians aren't fighters. So I'm like, look at their history, and you tell me they aren't fighters. Oh, yeah. They, these guys like held off Alexander the Great for a long time. You tell me they're not really capable. And of course, my like in India they have like um, they have a hierarchy of uh caste. They have a mm. caste system, and my family we come from the second caste, which is Lohana, which are royal guard. So basically, the royal guard are like they're basically okay. generals and badasses. From from the get go, from birth, from when you can stand, yep. you're taught to fight, and then you've got I'm part Tanzanian uh, and Black African and that, and my tribe are the tribe that succeeded at the tribal wars. They came out on top, so they're my people. Yeah. Then you actually you're like a warrior god. Then basically. <laughs> then you got then you got the Arab side of me. The Arabs are like skirmish masters. They're like fighting up close. That's what they do. And then you finally got the Sicilian, like the tiny oh tiny bit of Sicilian in my blood. Mafia. <laughs> Partially, but it's actually if you look at what they are, because the Sicilians, and this is quite interesting, so I looked at the history. The Sicilians were actually the birth. Uh, they were that place was birthed as the and historians, please correct me. Correct me. Um, as where the the Germans that mated with the Romans, and basically they had um, their bastard children. After a couple of generations, you couldn't actually tell who was pure blood Roman, who was basically a couple of generations Roman. Um, what they did was they gave them the island of Sicily as kind of their place where they would they would go. So that's, that's why you, they look yeah. so different. So like essentially, I have that in my blood. So you have like four very strong pieces, and that's why when I look at a fight, I can break down very quickly where someone's going to hit, what they're doing, see things coming, fight, yeah. move. And don't get me wrong, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I'm shit at. Like I'm not great at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I'm still learning. I'm a blue belt and getting my shit together. That's fine, but simultaneously. I know when I see technique once or when I see something once, it's it's committed to memory. The reason I'm doing piano and ukulele and stuff like that is because I really enjoy music and I want to just yeah. try to get good at stuff. I'll never be as good as Abby Lemon because she's just amazing. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, you can, you can try. It gives you a goal to work towards, doesn't it? So. <laughs> exactly. And I'm hyper competitive. So I'm always like into shit like that. Like, like let's do this. It's like, Adam, yeah. don't. Shut up and sit down in the corner. I'm like, maybe. Let's see. So all those, sorry, all of those genetic bits that you've just mentioned then, did you find that out? Are these immediate family that you've traced back? Or is this, if you had one of those DNA kind of tests done or? How did you find that all out? DNA test and also surprisingly because I started to get really annoyed that wherever I went, no one could guess my ancestry correctly. Like when I was in Africa, everyone, like because I went back to Tanzania when I was uh, 16, uh, everyone thought I was Arab. Okay. I was like, what? what? And, and then when I came back to the UK, I was talking to someone and they were like, no, no, you, you look Arab. I'm like, why do I look Arab? My mother looks Arab as well. Like my mother really looks Arab. Yeah. Um, I'm like, but I'm not Arab. They're like, okay, cool, whatever. You're not Arab, man. And then um, a couple of years later, they're like, because my dad actually looks Italian. Okay. Because like, um, like when my dad was younger, he looked like Sylvester Stallone. Okay. <laughs> like, there's a photo on Facebook which uh, I'll share with you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, where my where I was I was in Plymouth at the time. I had my I had like my aviators on because I can wear aviators. Fuck everyone else that can't. Yes, this face can. Um, so I'm wearing <laughs> aviators. I've got a necklace on. I've got a black t-shirt on. 
and I've got my backpack because I've just finished up training at the gym. I remember meeting my head instructor, Kenny, and we, we're having a coffee, and then Kenny goes, you know what, I fucking know what we're going to do. So he ends, we end up walking to HMV, he goes into the movie section and pulls out Cobra with Sylvester Stallone, puts it in front of my face and snaps a photo. And he's like, y'all look alike. <laughs> and oh it's, I, I thought it was just yeah, him. But then he put it on Facebook and everyone's like, no, they actually look alike. Like, you two actually look alike here. Oh, so, my goodness. So that kind of, like, led me down the whole thing. It was like, okay, do I really have Sicilian blood in me or do I have Italian blood in me? And I did the test and it came back mm. as Sicilian. And because my wow. surname is, my, my surname for a long time, I didn't know what it meant. And yeah. Italians started coming up to me saying, you know what your surname means, right? I was like, no. Like, it's an Italian surname. I was like, oh, shit, no way. And what does it mean? It fits perfectly with the rest of my name, but it's essentially to love or to love everyone is basically the, the translation. Oh, that's uh, lovely. Yeah, it's kind of like a really hard thing, though, because the rest of my name is pretty much like a sentence now because of it. Like my full birth name. So my full birth name... You know what? I'm not going to say it on air because okay. I don't want everyone else to know. I'll, everyone I'll tell will be you. Like, licking you up and yeah, fine. I'll tell you what. Hold, hold on, Abby. We're <laughs> going to pause for two seconds, guys, as I tell okay. Abby and then we're going to be back. Hold on. As we were saying, no pressure yep. to living up to that name. And guys, no I'll pressure probably, whatsoever, no. I'll, I'll probably post that sometime in the future, whatever it is. But anyway, like getting off the subject to me, because this is more about you more than okay, anything. Okay, sorry. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, well, I was just going to say, the reason I asked the question about that is I had my own DNA. I did a 23andMe DNA um, Love those. You know, test to see. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, oh, I bet I've got some kind of exotic background. Let's see. Um, literally, it came back with being 100% European. Like ninety nine percent Northern European, like you know, like Celtic or whatever, and like one percent Southern. L literally, it could not be the most boring. Like, <laughs> when I say boring, but it means I'm obviously descended from the Vikings and the Norse, the Norse people, because it's mainly Scandinavian. So right, that, that's that's incredible. <laughs> now I do have a question here that's quite yeah. interesting uh, on on terms of this. Did you find when you did your twenty three and Me when you actually went through everything, um, it. Wait, what was my actual question? Sorry, I, like it came for a second and just like disappeared. <coughs> Sorry, that was it. Yes, got it. Um, so the question I actually have is, when you were looking at this, did you actually know that the original Celtics were actually dark-skinned? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't actually know that. Um, and I, but like, I mean, I'm not dark skinned at all. I've probably oh, got no. typical British, um, you know, I've got like very blue eyes, dark hair, pale skin, freckles. So it's kind of, I don't know where that coloring comes from, but it's a kind of typically English coloring that comes from somewhere, I guess. Um, it was, it was but, generations of being on this, on, on this island exposed to the weather. Cause like the original Celt was, I'm talking like a couple of thousand years ago. So, yeah. you know, genetic ed editing and breeding and stuff like that will actually get that there it's like the same thing as i like to equate it is um westeros how did the first okay. uh, how did the andals come here the andals were not like skin they were not like white they were like dark-skinned like the people of dawn yeah so and stuff like that so it's just like it's just years and years of like breeding that's what happens guys shit happens yeah. It does, yeah, and it's because, yeah, there's no real sun in Northern Europe, um, you know, that uh, yeah, you don't, the skin doesn't have to protect itself from it, you know, it's... Um, now it's, it does. Oh, yeah, now it does, yeah. But I'm, I'm always, um, when I um, lived in Australia for a little while as a child, and, you know, over there, this this whole slip, slop, slap, you know, the sun cream thing was is so prevalent because of this, you know, even back then they knew the damage that the sun could cause, and this is when I was sort of 10, 11 years old. Um, but over here, the amount of people that just, 
go out and they think that burning their skin is healthy or that sun cream causes cancer or that you just think are you a complete dick (laughs) are you a complete dick (laughs) see what really makes me laugh about that is um, the amount of people that say to me you should wear sunscreen i'm like dude i'm brown i know that like you should quote unquote wear sunscreen but like my ancestors didn't and i'm from hotter climates you're, it's not like you've got um, if you've got any kind of blue eyes and and you know you just you've got to protect your skin because you yeah you haven't got the mel the melanin is it the 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 pigment in yeah, your skin that, that is yeah that is there to um, protect you you just haven't got it it's not like you can burn and then it's brown and then it's fine it's it's just not there so you know you haven't got that protection in your skin the same as 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 you have you know and I'm like lily white normally so that's fair to know but I was actually going to say with. Oh God, what's it called? In terms of like people that are that have blue eyes, mm. this is what really made it weird. My dad actually told me this, but my dad's father, like my grandfather who died when my dad was 12, my dad was like, yeah, you know your granddad actually had blue eyes. I was like, what? Wow. He was like, yeah, you look like him, and except for he had blue eyes and you have like very, very, because my eyes are almost black. Yeah, and you know what? Blue eyes are, um, It's um, I think it's a recessive gene. So to have blue eyes, there has to have been, it is quite rare in, in somebody who's got dark eyes because they kind of, the the gene for the dark eyes overtakes usually um, the blue eyes. I can't remember the actual gene pattern that you have to have to um, to make blue eyes, if you like, but it's, um, it's, it's a funny one, yeah. Which is why dark skin also is kind of generally more dominant over um, pale skin, I think, in the same way. Yeah, just no, brown, big, pe- brown people yeah. have brown people have dominant genes, man. We're conquerors. That's how we do yeah. things. We we basically <laughs> like people like we conquered your land. It's like we conquered your people because we got them in bed, and now you have beige kids everywhere. That's basically how we do things, people. Yeah, I, I wish I had beige skin. Yeah, I'd love to have a natural bit of suntan. It'd be lovely. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I, I'm literally like the palest. It's horrible. <laughs> oh man, this is like I'm getting like callbacks to the Ben Settle podcast because we joked about this. He was like, I was like, no, look, people like white privilege. I'm like, no, white privilege exists, but no one wants to talk about brown privilege. Our privilege is we age very well. And, and we you don't look get great in, in all, all year round in a, in a pair of shorts or a bikini if you're a girl. And yeah, <laughs> you can wear a bikini if you're a guy. Don't. Yeah, you look great in a bikini. You know, I've, I think I might have seen those photos, Ado, actually. <laughs> they weren't meant to be leaked. God damn it. This is why I don't store anything on the cloud. Oh. But do you know what? I was so, when I got my report back, I was like, oh, well, you know, when you're just thinking, oh, there's got to be something really exciting that I don't know about my family history and, and all this. And it was a little bit like, oh, okay. Damn it. <laughs> That's fine. That's what it is. But one thing they did say in my report is that I've got the same maternal genetic line as Jesse James, the um, the cowboy in, Australia, in um, America. So that probably explains a lot of things. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I was going to be like, you gotta you gotta be clear here because there's like three different Jesse Jameses out there. There's oh, Jesse James the porn star, Jesse James the no. biker dude, and Jesse no. James the actual guy that shot that, that was shot by someone else. Yeah, as a yeah, that one. The, the <laughs> one in the, yeah the cowboy guy, not the porn star or the biker dude. Um, is Jesse James the the, the ye olde American guy? <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify, it's not like Abby's related to a porn star, though. If she were, <laughs> I called dips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They didn't come up in it. As long as they were Northern European, there's, a, there's probably a possibility somewhere down the line. <laughs> I have infinite dibs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For the people who watch How I Met Your Mother, you will know what I'm on about. Come at me, bro. It's how we do things. I apologize for the background noise. I'm going to try and limit that in the post edit, uh, as in with sound removal. 
Uh, goodness, God, what I was going to say. So as far as it goes, like branding, what are some of the stuff okay. that you really look at when you're actually designing something? Like, say, for instance, one of the hardest things I have for me is figuring out my brand in terms of a logo because okay. I'm fucking weird um, and do so many weird things. Yeah, it's um, people put, um, you know, they put a lot of stock on the logo and it being super duper the main important thing to have and everything else. But it, in reality, it's, it's just a very small piece of the branding puzzle, if you like. And um, if you, the way you have to look at it is you have to look at who you're trying to attract with that logo. You know, who, that, that's, the logo is kind of a flag you wave or a signature. Um, so, you know, who do you want to kind of call towards you with that and, and who are you serving? So if you know that, if you know your customer inside and out, which I know doing your copywriting, you have to go very deep into this kind of stuff as to, you know, what a words appeal and everything else. Um, and it's um, if you know exactly who you're trying to attract, you can then start to build a visual picture around that as to what is going to be suitable for it so for example if you're trying to attract a certain say you know it's women they're aged in a certain you know in a certain way they like things like vogue magazine chanel you know they're quite high-end and luxury you, you, that will build you a different kind of picture as to what they're going to seem familiar to and be drawn towards um, than if you were looking at men who want to build themselves up in the gym they're you know they're kind of looking at supplements or all this kind of stuff it's just so the things that you really need to be looking at are who you want to attract by it. You want to be looking at the kind of um, feeling and emotion that your customer or your client wants to feel when they see your website or see your packaging or see your brand. So, you know, how do you want them to feel? Do you want them to feel, um, do you want them to feel, power, you know, charged up? Do you want them to feel calm? Do you want them to feel like welcome and friendly and kind of, and that will help you then decide on font choices it will help you start to build a picture of maybe if you're going to use iconography in it as well um you know that there's it's not as easy as just going oh yeah there's your logo just have that you know it, it's very much a, a, an integral piece of the brand puzzle if you like does that make sense oh massively and that's kind of i'm glad that you actually said that because it makes it yeah. a lot easier when people ask me stuff like oh what do i do I'm like just do that it's so much easier yeah <laughs> and but it's not you know at the end of the day you look at some of the logos that are out there i mean you know, you just, let's take a, a really, you know, common one, say the Nike logo. I mean, that was designed by somebody as a student, I think, that was paid like $100 or something back in the day to, to design that. And, you know, it doesn't mean anything. The swoosh doesn't, it's not, you know, it. and the Nike font itself, you know, yes, it's, you know, it's very recognizable now, but that's only because they're a massive brand. But, it, it you know, it, your brand is so much more than just that logo that you can, even if your logo is um, not connecting in the way that you hope you know that the messaging and everything else it will just be when they see that logo they will think of your brand so and they will feel the emotions that your brand is you know has portrayed and and kind of um kept out there so it's not just about oh you know you can just type something you can just type type your logo in a really nice clean font and that is your logo and that is absolutely fine to do that but then you support it with all the other stuff in your brand like your your um uh, imagery, your messaging, um, your you know all of that stuff, your product, your quality, everything you put out there is part of it. I was going to say two fun facts for you as a design nerd you'd probably really, really like. Go on. Uh, the first one is, you know the Chubba Chups Lolly Company? Yes, I do, yeah. Do you know who designed their actual current logo? Do you know what? I don't. Do you want to be shocked and surprised by who it was? Go on then. Salvador Dali. Oh, yeah, the story basically Ooh. goes that like the guy that owns Chubba Chups knew Dali quite well, oh. and um, 
they were sat in a restaurant and basically before the old logo was it was a flower but it was around just the side so it wouldn't make sense so you get chopper or chops on one side or whatever it was so he was like complaining about how do we design this logo we don't know what to do and they were at dinner and Salvador Dali literally just pull out a napkin and a pencil and just start drawing this flower on top because you put it on the top so people can see everything and he's like oh that's totally cool he goes how much are you he goes oh don't worry we're friends just go run with it and now it's like this amazing piece of work that everyone sees, but no one realizes a Salvador Dali no. piece they're actually printing out. I'm just giggling it now because obviously I'm a design nerd and I need to know more about this. So, um, and obviously, yeah, Chupa Chup's actually a Spanish brand as well. So that would fit with, um, oh. yeah, it's a very interesting idea. And what's fun fact number two? Did you say there were two? There were two, but now I'm trying to remember what the other fun fact was. <laughs> I was like so enamored by this one, I totally forgot. What you I, I think that's brilliant. That is, that's one of the best things I've heard. In the last hour. <laughs> Not all day or forever. Just the last hour. Forever, yeah. Just, you know, pace yourself a little bit, boy. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, but I actually find stuff like that really interesting when it comes to, like, how people come up with their ideas because uh, Jason uh, Marsden, I think his name is, the guy that basically worked in... Uh, he worked for Nike or Nike for my American friends um, for a really long time uh, as their brand technician on okay. how to basically build their shoes to look nice and stuff. And he basically created this job for himself. Um, but he's he's a cool dude. But the reason I, I bring him up particularly is he was even adamant about saying, it's just a swoosh, it's what you build around that. And I just remember yeah. fact number two. Sorry, it just came back to me. Fact number two is, do you know Nike actually, or Nike, actually built their initial success, and not the initial success, but their reclaim to success in the 80s um, by doing direct mail. No, I didn't know that as well. So that's a, that's a copywriting fact then. A yeah, copywriting it, nerd it's, fact. It's a, it's a copywriting <laughs> nerd fact that Nike, Nike or whatever it is, they actually wrote direct mail pieces to sell their shoes in order to test new products in order to wow. see if people would actually buy them ahead of time before they had supply. Wow. Who did they target with this direct mail campaign? Was it is was it the consumer or was it the um the retailers or the, the consumers, retailers? Consumers. Okay. So basically they would sell it by direct mail saying, Hey, go get these new peasant Nike kicks, uh, and we're doing like this exclusive offer, so get it today. Uh and people were like, Holy crap, yeah, I'll totally love I'd love to get some new Nikes and stuff like that and wow. they just would. Um but they would get like a really good discount ahead of time for actually being part of a test group or whatever amazing that's amazing and then i guess they could then see what they would then make more of to introduce to the um to the marketplace i bet there's some um one you know like um small run nike shoes then that are you know collector's pieces massively then if they if they did stuff like that because there must be a few that were only sent to say like 10 20 people or or 10 20 like 100 200 i don't know how many but you know they they do it's like if you look at the jordans uh like the michael jordan shoes some of them go for like $10,000 upwards just because they're like rare prints and rare orders of the Jordan shoes. Um, and like sneakerheads will pay like top money for that kind of stuff. And it's like ridiculous. I, like, wow. I was like, I don't understand it. But then again, I do from a copyright perspective. I'm like, I, I see what they're doing. It's guesty and, you know, it's a yeah. rarity. 
um, it's a collector's item. So I see from a, a design perspective as well is when you um, own something that is really, you know, it's it's just different. It's like, you know, when, when uh, people design record covers and it doesn't hit the mark that well and they redesign, when I say record, I mean actual LPs. Um, and for those who are speaking who are younger, this is like vinyl we're talking about here. Um, you know, it's when um, in the old days they'd run, like say the Beatles, they would run a, um, a run of, of a design that didn't kind of hit the mark or it was a bit controversial. And then they would withdraw that and you know issue the kind of mainstream version if you like as well um so and those are hugely collectible you know hugely collectible from a, a design perspective as well so yeah it's incredible what you actually can get away with with people's like with not get away with sorry but like what people actually create they're actually so rare yeah that people collect um it's it's like this idea of like even books and watches and stuff yeah it's the design like there's so many different intricacies of what people can see as beauty yeah um and beauty is very subjective as well anyway isn't it it's you know yeah. one something that you may love and, and actually cherish and think is amazing somebody else will think is just the worst thing they've ever seen or you know it's um the same with anything with with clothes with collector's pieces with interior design with graphics with you know what somebody might um, have their logo redesigned like the chopper chops logo and that you know it's the best thing ever it's part of their brand and someone else is going to go i said not not for me at all actually turns me off i don't want to you know i don't want to see it yeah. it's very subjective yeah it's it's crazy <coughs> sorry about the guys still recovering from strep um but it's crazy exactly what you see with people mm. in the way they actually design things like book covers are really interesting to me because like i've got my one of my five books coming out this year uh and it's due out around the same time this podcast would come out which mm -hmm. is the alchemy alchemy of persuasion um and the design to that is just like a it's it's like a faux leather design so it looked quite okay. nice so white leather design with gold em embossed writing blimey and that's going to be actual leathery material or the a print of what looks like leather it's going to be two like with the paperback okay. version what we're actually doing is the white it's going to be like regular you know card they yeah. use but it's going to have cracks and to make it look like leather okay. and, the, and the embossed lettering isn't going to go in of course not going to dent it but like we're going to have a special, yeah yeah we have a special edition which is a little bit more expensive which are signed as well which is going to be faux leather with the embossed uh oh. indented print and of course the logo that we have for this is a atom but instead of an atom in the middle, we have the human brain. Okay, nice, so nice. That, so that's basically what we've done. And that is a trademarked thing, you little bitches that want to steal it. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. No, you see, as you can see, I'm um, the, the immediate question the designer asks is, how, how are you going to do that? Is that going to be a print? Is that going to be the phone? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah no, it's one of those things, yeah. yeah. Um, because yeah, it's um, I, I've, I've designed quite a few book covers myself, and it's um, what people want and what people can actually have for their budget. So it do tend to be two different things, and actually that that applies to logo design, branding, everything else. It's um, because it is subjective. I think people don't um, a lot of the time, probably with your copywriting as well. You do you know that sales letter is going to bring that company in, um, you know, two million quid or whatever it's going to be. Um, so the the actual value of investing in your services, and the same with mine, is. Um, is very minimal compared to the value that they're going to bring to their business and their company. Um, for example, if you if I do branding for a larger company that is then going to put that logo on all of their collateral, their business cards, their website, their company car, whatever they're going to use it for, if that if that's not done right the first that time, they're going to put that on all that um, material and everything else. And how much is it going to cost them to change it? It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a horrendous expense to change it if it's not correct. So it's 
getting it right is going to be an investment in in me and my time but also it's um it's the value that it brings to the company as well isn't it so entirely people have to be able to um sort that stuff out and actually make sure that it works it's the same with a mailer you can't make you have to make sure there are very very little to no mistakes on anything that you write for direct response yeah. because that like especially with direct mail yes. they mail out pieces like that now what's yeah. really funny about that is joe sugarman actually pioneered this way of doing it it's so beautiful he wrote a letter and there were like nine words that he made mistakes on so he printed out a secondary letter very very short form and yep. just said find the nine mistakes and for every mistake you find will knock off x percent from the product oh that's really good and then also it means people have to read the letter really carefully to find the mistake so they're going to scan it you know exactly <laughs> double-edged really sword good. yeah Super fucking that's a really smart. good one yeah. joe killed it with that he actually killed it with that i actually asked him about that when he was on the show and he was like yeah yeah that's what happened um but it's, it's incredible like, what people do. So I, I guess one of the other questions I have for you realistically coming up to this, and it's a question I'm actually really starting to enjoy asking more of. And again, I don't like canned questions, as you've noticed, but this is one of the ones that I actually feel I like asking because it's just a fun thing. And it's really weird. I started out with one of these, now there's two, yep. now there's three. But it's only going to stay at three. I don't want to go with three. So the, the question is, what three books... Uh, sorry, what three books, and there are parameters... What three books were most influential to you and in your life that you'd actually re- that you'd recommend to people because they could just be influential to you or they're ones that you recommend. So let's let's split this okay. up. Three books that were influential to you and three books that you'd recommend. Now here's the parameters. Yeah. One of the books has to be a fictional book. Oh, that's fine. I've got one or, straight away. <laughs> or yep. a fictional movie. So okay. either one. All right. So you've got basically six books, or it could be just three. It's completely up to you. So right. Go. Go on. The first book that I um, would recommend, we'll start with those, and and that was influential on me, was reading Alex Garland's The Beach. Now, I'm not talking about the film. I'm talking about the the book here because that book I read when I was working in London many years ago. Um, I read that on the way to work on my commute into town. Um, it is just the descriptions, the way he writes. Um, it inspired me to, to want to travel and to walk want to go and see some of those things um you know i still haven't visited all the countries in the world i want to go to and i don't you know that probably will never happen but because there's just too many but that book it just i was there i was there in in um, in thailand i could just see what he was writing about it was so visual and beautiful and the book itself is is much darker um than the film as well and if anybody that knows me i do like a bit of dark twisted psychological thriller type things and that that book i think was is and still is just one of my favourites at all. And the film, I don't think, does the book justice. Have you ever read that? I don't. I have not. I'm actually ordering it right now. Yeah. Oh, you read it. It's just, um, it, I found it. I mean, it was a long time ago I last read it. But when I read it at the time and the place I was in, it just took me to another another world. So, so that was awesome. one. Now, another book. I'm just going to have a look at my bookshelf behind me. Mm-hmm. So, we got... Um, the other book that I would actually, that really did influence me, that I read about the same time, that you'll probably find, um, is, um, it's the Tony Robbins book. 
Which one? He's written like three. Awake, yeah, Awaken the Giant Within, that one. Okay, nice. I, yeah, and I read this about the same time. Now, I was going through what could be described as a massive crisis of confidence when I was about, ooh, it must be about 19, 20 years old. Um, my housemate at the time introduced me to Tony Robbins. I'd never heard of self-development. I'd never heard of... Um, just never heard of any anything like this this was like this whole thing that was just kind of um it, it just given to me that was i don't know it was just it blew my mind totally that you could actually change how you think and that actually you were each person is worthy of of everything you know you, you can go out and get something that you've never had you can change your state of mind you can um you know you deserve everything that you, that you want in life and in this kind of just that blew my mind as well i just never knew that that was a thing and that was possible and i think when you've had say um you know a number of i i think i suffered with some self-worth issues a lot when i was younger i wasn't the most confident person I'm, i looked really confident on the outside but inside i just felt like a complete fraud i didn't feel you know like i d deserved nice things it was you know it wasn't a great time for me and this book really kind of made me go shit man i can I can fucking go out there and do it. I can do whatever I want to do. And it, it really gave me the basis of all of my psychological learnings that I've done since then, um, how I've tried to, in, you know, I'm really interested in how the human brain works and how you can change your mind, your state of mind and everything else. Um, it That was the, the beginning for me of all the personal development that I've ever done, which is a fair amount and has really kind of led me to where I am now. Not saying it was always an upward curve, but that book i say was was what kind of started that all off so epic um, okay i love it next okay um now the next book i'm going to suggest is actually a design book it's called creative strategy and the business of design this has influenced me because it um hold on one second guys hello. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to nip out for a second just to see the package, but like Abby is going to continue down the list and tell you why these books. And she's got like three more as well that she can actually throw in at you. As well okay. As well. cool. Good stuff. Okay. So um, the next book is um, it's a, it's a business book in, in the design industry. It's called Creative Strategy and the Business of Design. Now, this book changed my mindset a lot because it, it's, um, it actually made me realize that um, design and branding isn't just about the kind of pixel pushing, um, you know, it, it is, there is um, a lot to be said about the strategy and how you position it and the market positioning. I know when I was working for a design agency, um, they had people that purely focused on the strategy and then you had other people that kind of designed um, whatever the, the strategic kind of plans were. So this book, Creative Strategy in the Business of Design, very influential because that made me realize I can actually monetize my knowledge, not just my technical skills and ability. So that is um, another book. Now, um, another book that I have, see, I have to like consult my list of books. Not, um, right, so next book is, let me just look at my Kindle library because I have them all in there. Wait, hold on. I'm just. Yes. I'm back. Which ones? What books did you recommend, real quick? Okay, I've just just done one so far. Um, which one? Which was uh, the creative strategy in the business of design, it, and um, I was just explaining um, to your listeners that it's just it made me realise I could monetize my knowledge and not just my uh, technical skills, which yeah. is a really big differentiator when you don't want to work hours for money, etc. As you know, as you well know, sometimes you don't want to be charging out by the hour you want to kind of monetize the the years of experience and knowledge that you've actually got that you can use to support other business owners and things um 
Oh yeah, like one sure. of my one of my favorite things to do with that is the consulting things that I do. And mm. my consultant prices, by the way, by the time this goes up, my consultant <laughs> prices actually went up um, in April. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so I went from three thousand dollars an hour to ten thousand dollars an hour. Yep. For consulting, wow. and the only reason for that was I actually started realizing this is the kind of thing you leverage your knowledge and ideas. Is I realized that what I can do in an hour for a company is the equivalent of them basically paying another copywriter like fifteen thousand dollars to do for like in thirty five days. Yep. So it's like time, money, and effort saved. Give me my ten grand. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's about that value proposition, isn't it? It's about what you know the value that your investment or their investment in you brings to um to their business. So. Um, so yeah, I mean the next I was going to just do one more if that's Should okay on the book side. Okay, so um, this is a book by Bruce Lipton called The Biology of Belief. Uh-huh. Now another one is um, you may or may not know that I'm actually about to qualify as an acupuncturist. Um, yeah, as I, as one of my yeah one of my hobbies um, is just to I just love learning and learning things you know outside of what I do for for work. Um, and acupuncture for me helped my dad greatly when he was alive because he had multiple sclerosis. Um, you know, I saw quite um, profound changes in him and in others through kind of the traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture. So I decided to embark on a three and a half year journey into that. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm just about to, I had to confirm the clinical period in my brain. Abby, you sound like you're like moving away from the. Oh, sorry. Thank there we go. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You sound like um, for now. Yeah, cool. Um, the I can just hear background noise with you. Sorry about um, that. It's yeah, um, right, right. It's, it's the it's the construction site. I'm just gonna mute myself then. The biology of belief. If you if you haven't read it or if you haven't heard of it, look this guy up. Um, because it basically says that we can change our physical states. Um, you know, just using the power of our mind. And it and that is, you know, I know that sounds like a bit of a woo woo. Um not true thing to say and but there's a difference between going oh yeah I believe that I'm healthier I believe that you know but actually you have to actually truly 100% um you know feel it in your body and it's like the things like say for example if you had to get up early and you're feeling like crap and you, you know you're not a morning person you don't do it very good you, you feel shit in the mornings and everything else the one day when you're getting up to go like on holiday or go somewhere really exciting you have no problem getting out of bed so that just shows you know, you, you can sort of change your mental state um, and physical as well but yeah this book is it's amazing it's basically saying that your mitochondria you can kind of influence that with your belief and everything else they've kind of proven that cellular regeneration um can you know it's 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 a really amazing concept um and i think my studies in acupuncture and this book it just i've just got this integral um sort of belief that there is another way than just standard pharmacology and um and western diet you know uh, that's another story to get another topic to get into but kind of the whole drugs industry and and pharmaceuticals and we, everything we can, else we can know? talk about this another time abby because yeah, i'm very into that kind of thing says the person that actually owns brand pharmacy.co.uk i know is, and that's kind of the irony you see uh, just a little bit okay so real quickly uh one yep. of my favorite questions to ask is when you had your ass handed to you com- confidence completely knocked out of you on your back because i know you've been there before yeah um what did you do to get yourself back up uh, the biggest thing I've learned about that is to be kind to myself, you know, and when I've had, even now when I have those days when I've had, um, you know, is not to 
not to force it. You know, sometimes we all need time to rest, to mentally recuperate. But the key is that you do get back up. It's like, well, actually, I'm going to give myself today yeah. and I'm going to be miserable as fuck. I'm going to sit on the sofa or I'm going to do, you know, or, or give myself, even if it's, you know, really a, something awful, I'm going to give myself today, tomorrow, whatever. Um, but to the, the, the next day or Friday, whenever I want to do it, that is the day that I make sure I go out for a walk. Even if it's just one small thing, I'll go out for a walk. I'll get dressed, go for a walk in the, you know, even if I really don't want to feel like it. Um, I'll make sure that I try and don't have too much shit food in the house and I just eat healthily, um, which I know is easier said than done when you have you are feeling like crap or you've had a really shit week or whatever. Um, but I think the key thing in that for me is to just be kind to yourself. Try not to feel too bad about because that's the worst thing is the guilt that you feel about not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing because you're feeling shit because you've had a bad week. Um, be kind to yourself. Let yourself feel feel that down period but also set a time scale for yourself you know you're wallowing and just go right this is the day that I'm going to sort it out and I'm going to go for a walk and then I'm going to do this and not to put too much expectation on yourself so that's awesome I love that especially in particular like with taking time off because a lot of people Mm -hmm. have problems with that like I do yeah um like I I really dislike taking time off uh from like working I, I just have like a thing where I just love working yeah, but at the same time, time, I I need, I need that time off. Otherwise, what's going to happen is I'm just going to burn myself out, feel like shit, and not productive. Yep. Also, you got to put yourself first. It's always absolutely. Yeah. And I we've all done that. I do that. I do that to myself with regular cycles. I work every single day for months, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not doing anything for a week. I'm just going to watch Netflix, and then <laughs> it's just because you just can't do anything else. Your brain almost reaches capacity. I think so. Yeah, um, I agree entirely. It's one of those things um, that even like watching Netflix is one of those things where it kind of gets it wanes on me after a while, and then I'm like, yeah. "Well, I need to uh, move on." So, one of my favorite questions to ask on the show is this idea of if you can actually give three tips to people to actually they're actually struggling with their design work okay. or their business. What three yep. pieces of advice would you give them, and why? Okay, the first one is please don't don't stress about it the design side is just a part of the puzzle so the first be you know look at what you've got and and actually look at everything in 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 conjunction yeah in conjunction with the design so look at your messaging is your you know do you know who you serve do you all of that stuff just look at everything we i've spoken about design on here so it's your customer and everything else don't stress about it because it's a very small piece of the puzzle. The second one I would say is consistency is really important. It doesn't matter what you've got, but it does matter that it's consistent across all your channels. Now, you need to know that you're using the same typefaces. Um, you're using the same color scheme, you know, exactly. Your um, your logo looks the same on all the different th- on all the different places that you've got it. So consistency is really important. And if you really struggle with that, I would just... Just go back over your website, go back over everything else. Say, right, so how many, co- what colors have I got here? What what fonts am I using? What sizes are they? I know it sounds really simple. Write it down. Write it down on a, on a sheet of paper. Do you put a little on a, a, type it out on a Word document, whatever you want to do. But just then go back over everything and just make sure you're using the same font, the same color, the same logo design. Um, and I promise you that will that will bring some of your branding together visually. Obviously, there's more to it, as we've discussed, but that consistency is probably the key thing that you need to be doing. Um, and kind of, and I think that leads on to number three, which um, I would say is you've got to know who your customer is. Now, 
if you don't and if you're not sure about who that customer is that you're you're serving and that you're you want to attract with your branding there's loads of ideal customer exercises out there on the internet just go revisit it because your ideal customer does change you know as your business evolves and everything else revisit it look at who your avatar is um and actually then you know you can use that to kind of um frame your branding as well so actually if your color scheme is like blue green and purple or something um and it's looking very masculine but your ideal client is actually um a a female you can kind of revise perhaps what you've got on the on the design side just to, to match that so um consistency don't stress about it and also know your customer really really well um three tips for making sure your design is is focused on on your brand and and your brand is focused on your customer i love that thank you so much for actually being here abby and guys check out brandpharmacy.co.uk get in touch with abby see if she has a spot open to help you because she's also going to be designing some stuff where she can consult with you and help you do business a lot quicker than rather than doing all the work herself um guys it's been a pleasure as always go ahead give the give it a share a like a comment subscribe a review fucking love them all I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Of course, you got to see different sides of Abby Lemon as well today. Abby, thanks again for being here and being so open, honest, and true. And sorry for the disturbances, guys. I know I That's didn't right. expect those to actually come up. but um, Life. <laughs> pretty much. I'll see you guys on the next episode of Adam Marcy Unplugged. Thanks, Adam. Bye.